What is Beaujolais wine? Beaujolais is a region of, of France. Sometimes you see how we say in France, uh, in, in France we name the wine by where they come from. Whereas in the new, new world where you come from, most of the time you refer to wine as a Pinot Noir or a Cabernet or... Enchanté. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about delicious French food and the people that love it, cook it, produce it, talk, write and photograph it. These last few episodes have been all about French wine and spirits, so I wanted to finish off with one of my favourite wines to drink here in France, the Beaujolais. Often referred to as a table wine for some people in France, its popularity here and the rest of the world seems to just keep on growing. Today we meet and chat with a Frenchman that when it comes to wine knows his stuff, and especially when it comes to all things Beaujolais. But as often is the case with most French people that we speak to on Fabulously Delicious, that I'm sure he will be a lover of all things French food as well as wine. Roman Tatou, thank you for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Hello, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, thank you for coming. Roman, before we get into all things Beaujolais, I've noticed your family heritage is a mixture of French and West Indies. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That That's a very uh, odd, odd uh, uh, mixture. But, but it's a, no, I wouldn't drink it if it was a, a cocktail, no. <laughs> it's half uh, wine and the rest uh, has a little bit of rum. But uh, yeah. It, <laughs> it's a good representation of, uh, of France. I have a family um, overseas, uh, but most of my family is in France. How was growing up in France with grandparents from both France and the West Indies then? It was yeah, very French. Uh, sometimes maybe food was uh, a little bit spicier than, than average. Uh, we would cook sometimes uh, some dishes from, uh, uh, from the Caribbeans. But most of the food was classical French French food at home. Did your parents cook West Indies food at home? And does that mean that you're one of the few French people that I might meet that likes chili? I do, actually, yes. <gasps> I, wow. I, I love everything spicy. Uh, it's, uh, so it's very frustrating in France because you, you don't get that much spice. It's, we are the, uh, the, the Netherlands of of of, uh, of spice uh, intensity in France. It's very flat. It's very flat. Uh, but uh, yeah, I do, I do like a little bit of spice uh, with my food. So that's why when I travel or when I eat um, foreign, imp- uh, sorry, um, world cuisine, I always like uh, something with a little bit of spice. Yes, because in France we have like the Piment d'Espelette, but it's not quite the same, is it really, as say a, a Scotch bonnet or something that you might have from the West Indies? Yes. Uh, so so in, in, in the French West Indies we have the, the Pimentier, is, I think we call it Habanero. Oui, yes. Yeah, it's the same species, but that's, that's very hot. So typically when you cook that, you have to uh, to adapt to to people who, are, who will be eating the food because it, it can be it can be very uh, very hot. So you can use it with caution. And so, whereabouts in France did you grow up as a child? So I grew up in Paris. What's it like to to be a child growing up in Paris, surrounded by all things that is Paris? It's you know, for me where I, where I grew up in Paris uh, on the eastern part of Paris. It was like a little village inside Paris because, uh, as you know, Paris has has grown over the centuries. Uh, so, so when you're, you're talking about uh, history of Paris, you can you can see it as a 
like a uh, can I say uh, a city that has expanded um, towards uh, beyond its wall over time. So look at Paris 500 years ago; it was much 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 smaller, but you know it, it grew, and as it grew all the way to the, the end of the, the 19th century, uh, it it started to um, to absorb small villages. And where I grew up in the eastern part of uh, part of Paris was a uh, a small village that has been eaten by the, the city in the 19th century. So it, so the, the I grew up in a small village inside of Paris called Charonne. Charonne. We have one of the the last village uh, the last I think it's one of the two churches in Paris with a, a symmetry behind the church. So it's an old village. You go there; it's not touristic at all. But you see the old, the the old medieval medieval uh, uh, houses, and surrounded by that, you know, big buildings of the the, the late the, the second half of the 20th century. But you actually studied history at the Sorbonne in Paris. Why history? It's been it's been my passion from uh, from from when I was a kid. You, you see, growing up in, in Paris, you're you are living through history. You, know, you can go to the Louvre uh, and you have like hundreds and, and even thousands of years of history. You can, you're walking into Paris is like walking into a, a history book. And that really captured my imagination as a kid. And I wanted to, to, to learn more. And there's no better place, I think, than uh, the Sorbonne in Paris to, to learn about history. So with this passion in history in mind, I want to go a bit out there with this question, I think. Um, can you pinpoint a moment in time of history that you would love to experience now? If you could go back in time, when would it be? What's a moment in time that you'd like to experience? It depends how long I stay in that uh, time. <laughs> okay, yes. Well, yes, and also who you are, I suppose. Because I, I guess I would love to see... Uh, I would love to see the, the French Revolution, but it's not. It wasn't very safe at some point. You look at 1793 with the Great Terror. That's definitely not the time you want to be there. But I would. I would have loved to see all the um, the, the changes changes happening at the beginning of the French Revolution uh, because it was a, a major change in, in of era and, and lots of new ideas, uh, lots of ideals as well. Uh, the, so I would say the first hours of the uh, the French Revolution, and that period defines a lot what uh, France is now, to these days. Yes, you just have to make sure that you kept your head on throughout that uh, period. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So in your late twenties, uh, you moved to the US for a little while. Why was that? I moved to the US. I wanted to. I wanted to experience. Uh, other parts of the world, and I, I'm pretty sure you know what it is like to to live abroad. Uh, it's I wanted to 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 visit the U.S. to live there to see different a different culture. So uh, my wife and I moved to to Canada first, and then from Canada we moved to New York because I, I was very fortunate to to uh, to be hired by a gentleman named George DeBuff at the time. So I was his uh, his brand ambassador for for New York and the surrounding cities. So were you living in New York? At first, you know, my first month, I was living on Wall Street, on Wall Street in an apartment without windows. And that 
I, I lasted about two weeks and then I moved to Brooklyn where it was much more quiet and, and it was much more light. In, even for two weeks, how do you live in an apartment with no windows? And you just go out. You just go out all the time. You, you don't want to stay home. <laughs> you don't want to, but you see, you see with the, with the, at the time, it was very, very hard to, to find apartments in New York and people would rent anything, like apartments with, uh, without windows or, or, um, or basements or all sorts of, of apartments. But I, I, cannot, I, I couldn't stay too long there. So I moved to Brooklyn in uh, a neighborhood that became a, while I was there, it became um, a hipster destination, a very hip. Uh, and it changed a lot when I was there. But I, I loved working, living in, in Brooklyn and, and working in the city. And you experienced some strange food uh, experiences in the US. Uh, you were telling me what happened in Orlando when you were there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, I, you see, uh, the, the, the food in the US is, is you get all, I mean, you get everything from, from, from very mediocre food to excellent and world class food in the US. And the, I've been fortunate to travel across the US and, and in Orlando, I had a bad encounter. So I would not, Consider that uh, a typical experience of, uh, of American cuisine. But I was in a restaurant and a restaurant, a fish restaurant. I was, I wanted to have fish and I asked the waitress, can I, uh, what kind of fish do you have? And, and she, she talks about uh, red snapper. And I don't know what a red snapper is. No, I don't know what it is in French. So I try, I ask her to describe and she say it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fish for, but it's very meaty. It's a fish that doesn't taste like fish. Okay, right. Okay, let's try it. So she, she, I get the plate and I eat the fish and it's definitely not fish. It's chicken. <gasps> so I asked the waitress, you see, it's my fish. My fish really tastes like chicken. Uh, can you can you check with the cuisine, is, uh, with the kitchen, if, if everything is all right? <laughs> and so she goes back to the kitchen and say, the chef confirms it's fish. It's not chicken. I'm, um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's chicken. So she takes a, a fork, my fork, my knife. She takes a bite. She eats out of my plate, and she goes, "No, no, no that's chicken." <laughs> right there in yeah, front she, of you. Yes, yes. Uh, and you see, the worst, the worst thing about that is that I was I was so shocked. I didn't react. Uh, I was I was just, and uh, and I only gave her twenty percent tip. Instead of forty percent, no, I'm kidding. But I was, I was so surprised. And and you know what's great about that is now I have a lifetime memory. Even though, even though sometimes I wake up at night and I, I, I have this night, this nightmare coming back. It's very strange. How did you find the difference between service in the U.S. and in France? Was it a bit of a culture shock? It's a uh, yeah. It's very, it's definitely very different. Uh, when I'm, I am from Paris now, when I go, I don't live in Paris anymore. But I went, I go back to Paris. I'm always surprised by how bad the service can be. Sometimes in some places, very touristic places, it's it's so unprofessional. Sometimes the, the level of service you get, uh, and I, I I think it's you know if you're in the industry of hospitality, you should you should. 
you should make people feel good because that's part part of the experience in the restaurant. It's not only the food, but it's also the service and, and, and having a good time and enjoying um, enjoying the time there. So I I'm very um, uh, cr- critical of service in France, but in the U.S. generally the service is is, is excellent. Um, and sometimes a bit too much, a bit too much for for French, you know, because French, you when you you have the waiters uh, coming every every ten minutes, making sure your everything is okay. You think it's, it's, it's something is weird, whereas in France, the waiter can forget you uh, for two hours and then. And then comes back, and, and and you don't, and you shouldn't make a, an observation. Now, sometimes some little differences in the service in the U.S. You know, the, the the one thing that was very surprising for me, being a non-English speaker in the, in the first place, the waiter comes to me and say, "Are you still working on this? Meaning on my plate? Are you still eating your food?" And, and and someone say, are you still working on this? I couldn't associate the word working with eating. And so I could, I didn't understand that first. And then he ex- explained, are you, are you still, are you, have you finished? Have you, are you done with your plate? And to me, it's, it really, it really uh, tells, uh, it's very telling of the relation of Americans to food, where sometimes is, it, it, there's, uh, f- food is there to, to give you uh, fuel fuel to your engine. What brought you back to France from the US then? We we decided to to, to come back. You know, it, it's it's been it was hard. It was heartbreaking because I um, we enjoyed our times uh, there so much. We made we, we made uh, lifelong friends, and and I I really enjoyed my time there. You know, living. A year in New York is like ten years anywhere else because so many things happen at once. But we, we decided to come back um, to to um, to raise a family, uh, to decide to have kids in France, and and being close to our parents and and grandparents for for those who are left. So it, it was more a, a choice to 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 be with family, and I. I'm happy with that choice. What's your favorite thing to eat in France? If it was, if you could just pick one. Ooh, that's that's hard. Okay, let's let's something simple. The, the, the what I miss the most when I'm traveling is uh, bread. You see, I don't know. It's something magic uh, in France that makes bread so much better. It's yeah, bread. Bread. We have such a variety of, of bread, and you can you can go to your local local boulangerie or a bakery, and, and it's always delicious and baked fresh a few times a day. So that's the the one one thing I, I, I love in France is bread. And if I may add something, maybe butter, a very good butter. There's nothing better than just bread and butter. Absolutely. I talk about this all the time. I'm always leaving room after having cheese and charcuterie. I'm always leaving room to just have the end of the baguette with just butter and a little bit of salt sprinkled over the top. And that's it. No cheese. But I put so much butter on it that it looks like cheese. 
It looks like I'm having a baguette with cheese, but it's not. It's just butter. <laughs> How did you get into the wine industry? So it was a – it was a um, – okay, sorry. Let me start again. It was by, by accident. I, I came into the wine industry by accident. I was living in Montreal at the time, and I was looking for a job. And I knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who, who, who had a, a company and he made a fortune in, with his, his company. So because he was very affluent, he decided to build himself a little French castle. And to make it look good around his, his French castle, he planted some vines. And after he had vines, he decided why not make wine. So he made wine. He had too much for his own consumption. So he, he said, okay sell my wine and and i will give you a, a percentage of the sale in canada you build a french castle in canada yes yes right. a french castle in canada and with local vines and the wine was uh canadian um, and i it was such a nice nice man and a good opportunity for me to 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 sell the wine so i i started you know getting the, the wine bug like that. And after that, I, I worked for George Dubois. And you say it's accidental that you got into the wine industry, but also your father's family, um, they were in the industry. They were barrel makers. Is that right? Yeah, some part of my of my father's family is from Bordeaux and they were uh, making barrels. Uh, but that was you know, a few generations ago, but still we, we own some... Um, some uh, woods, some forest uh, for oak, for, for oak for the barrels. Yes. So I guess, I guess it was in my DNA. I had no choice. Is that still a big industry, barrel making? I think it's it's a. Th- I for, from what I understand, it's a thriving industry in France because the, the the quality of the oak in France is, is unphenomenal, and, and it's there is a lot of demand. Um, not only for wine, because what is used for wine then can be used for, uh, for, for, for spirits after. And so it's, it's, it's still a very big industry. Um, and uh, I think the demand is, is still very high. You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. If you'd like to support the making of Fabulously Delicious, then there are many ways you can do this. The first, and by far possibly the most important, is to follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review or a rating. A five-star rating would be good. That's on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Financially, you can support Fabulously Delicious by becoming a Patreon member for as little as the price of a cup of coffee a month. You can become a Patreon member and receive exclusive content just for you. But not everybody can support monthly. So if you'd like to, you can just do a one-off payment via the Buy Me A Coffee website, where you can buy me a croissant. Both the Patreon and the Buy Me A Croissant links are in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening to Fabulously Delicious. And now let's get back to our chat with Romain Tetou, where we learn all things about Nouveau Beaujolais. I'm excited. I can't wait to dive right back in. Let's get chatting to Romain. On to Beaujolais. For starters, what is Beaujolais wine? Beaujolais is a region. Sometimes you see how we say in France. Uh, in, in France, we name the wine by where they come from. 
Whereas in the new new world where you come from, most of the time you refer to wine as a Pinot Noir or a Cabernet or a Chardonnay. That's the varietal. France, most of most of French would not know what the varietal of a wine is, but they would know the name of the region it comes from. So Beaujolais is the region, is a region where we produce a wine that we call Beaujolais because it's it's coming from there. So we're at the southern part of Burgundy, Burgundy, France. So uh, just a few miles north of the city of Lyon, Beaujolais is a, you could say it's the southern part of Burgundy or it's a region on its own. It's about 30 miles uh, south to north and about, about 10 to 15 miles wide. So it's quite, it's quite small. If you, let's say okay. Let's let's say you you have a friend coming over from from Australia and they want to to, to visit France. Maybe you they, they will land in, in Paris. Then you would say okay, go east to Champagne. So right east of Paris, Champagne. Then you go south of Champagne. You're gonna start to being into to Burgundy with Côte de Nuit, Côte de Beaune, Côte Chalonnaise, all these these uh, vineyards, and then you go into Beaujolais. Which is really at the south, right next to to Lyon. If you if you leave Lyon within fifteen to twenty minutes, you can see the first vineyards of of Beaujolais north of Lyon. So we are we are at a um, at the, the, the right uh, right between proper Burgundy and the region of Côte du Rhône, which starts just south of Lyon. And I say in Beaujolais we produce mainly red wine. About 97, 95 to 97% of, of what we produce is, um, is red wine and it's a grape called Gamay Noir, which is a sibling of Pinot Noir. And then there's a Nouveau Beaujolais. What is this? Is this the same thing as Beaujolais or is it different? So Nouveau, since you must speak a little bit of French, Nouveau means new. So Beaujolais Nouveau means the new wine of Beaujolais. For example, this year we harvested in September, and just two months after, we are drinking Beaujolais Nouveau on the third Thursday of November. So it's a French tradition. Beaujolais Nouveau is that it's a tradition where when you're a winemaker, you're going to bottle a part of the harvest right after, uh, right after you make it instead of waiting for months before you bottle it. And you are going to celebrate the harvest. You're going to celebrate the first wine of the, of the harvest right in the middle of, of November when it's, we have short days. It's very, it's dark very early and everybody's depressed. We're going together, all together, all together in restaurants and bars and drink the first wine of the year to see how the vintage is going to be. So that's a French tradition. It started back in the early 1950s because at the time people were making um, races to go to, to, the, to be the first to deliver the barrels of wine to the restaurants in Paris. So all the winemakers would leave on the, at the same time and rush to Paris to be the first to deliver the Beaujolais Nouveau. And when they did, everybody was shouting in the restaurant saying, saying the Beaujolais Nouveau est arrivé, it means the Beaujolais Nouveau has arrived. Typically, the, the, the wine that comes from Beaujolais, from, from this appellation of Beaujolais, most of the wines see no oak. 
Okay, when you uh, we age in in, in uh, what we call neutral vessels, so something that will not uh, not give taste to the wines, such as uh, oak barrels. Uh, what we do here is Beaujolais Nouveau. Let's take this analogy. You like cooking? You like baking? Sometimes when I bake a cookie, I I like the dough. Sometimes I eat the dough before I bake the cookie. Okay. That's the same thing with Nouveau. Nouveau is just like the dough that before you bake it, it's the first taste of what the cookie will be. And the cookie will be the, 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 the wine that you, you age like Beaujolais. So when you're a winemaker in Beaujolais region, in the southern part of Beaujolais, where most of Nouveau comes from, you're going to bottle a part of the wine and the, the other half, let's say, uh, approximately, the, 50% approximately, you're going to age it and wait until January or February or March of the year after to bottle it, after it spent some time uh, to, to rest in your cellar. But it's not, it, it's not going to be aging in, in oak most of the time. The idea of Nouveau Beaujolais, is there other wines and wine regions that, that will rush to get the wine out from its first harvest, or is it specifically just for Beaujolais? So Nouveau is not specific to Beaujolais, but Beaujolais made it famous. You have Nouveau wines from, for example, the Côte du Rhône, even from, even from Italy. You have new wines from Italy. I have a friend in Spain who makes a, a Nouveau as well. You now start to see winemakers in regions like Oregon or California who starts to make Nouveau. It's, it's just a style of wine, a way of making wine. So it's not proper, uh, proprietary to, to Beaujolais. But in Beaujolais, we made it famous, making it, uh, making it a global wine uh, event. You see, uh, we, we, we thought, okay, it's wine. It's all about sharing, being, bringing people together, being, being together at the time of the year, gather and, and celebrate life and celebrate harvest. So, so we had all this, this um, philosophy behind it that make it famous. And it is very famous. I mean, you can't, you, you can't be in France at this time of the year and not see signs saying, you know, that it's a new, nouveau Beaujolais is coming in two weeks or it's, uh, it's when it happens. So this episode will actually go to air on the day of nouveau Beaujolais, which is what day in November every year? It's the third Thursday of November. I think it's the 18th this year. Is that right? This year it's the 18th. When do you drink Beaujolais wine? At breakfast with my cereals. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what type of cereal goes with Nouveau Beaujolais wine? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any? <laughs> any, any, any. No, I, I would, you, you know, the, the, what's great about Beaujolais is that it's, it's such a friendly and versatile, oh, sorry, sorry, let me say that again. It's such a friendly and versatile wine. It goes well with anything. It's good on its own. Let's say you're with your loved one and you want to just have a glass of wine with nothing else but, a, I don't know, a show on Netflix, for example. A glass of Beaujolais will make it. If, you're, if you want to have food, from, from, from light food to more serious food, 
it will also go well with it. It will pair. So Beaujolais, from the lighter style wine of Beaujolais, like Beaujolais Nouveau or the simple Beaujolais, to something more structured that we call Cru Beaujolais. Maybe you've heard of names like Morbon, Fleury, or Juliana, which are more complex and structured and age-worthy. Beaujolais can go well with anything. It's it's not the type of wine that's over. Uh, so you know, sometimes are sometimes wines can be uh, very high in alcohol or have very big tannins or being very uh, big big guys. Beaujolais Nouveau is more delicate, elegant, more subtle, and and because of that, because of that aromatic components and that acidity of the wine, it will go well with any type of food. And what I love about Beaujolais is that it's a wine that makes me want to drink another glass and makes me want to, to, to eat. You see, sometimes wine is just too much and it masks the flavors of the food. Here with Beaujolais, it's the opposite. The French often refer to it as a table wine. Why is that? What do, what do they mean by being a table wine? Um, you see, table wine, it, maybe it's because it sits on the table, the family table, any time of, uh, of the year. It's not a special occasion like champagne. Uh, and it's to me, I, I embrace that uh, because it, there is no better place than being on, on the family's table. Uh, or to be with your friends, you don't have to. It's not some a wine that's overly pretentious. Uh, some, it's a wine that's um, approachable. I will not use the word simple because it's it can be very sophisticated, Beaujolais, but it's very approachable, and it's a wine that makes you want to share with other people. So maybe it's it's why people say it's a table wine is because it's 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 on your your family's table. Um, can you cook with uh, Nouveau Beaujolais or the Beaujolais wine? Yeah, you can cook with it. Um, if you mean that the cook can have a drink while he's cooking. I was joking. <laughs> we can do, yes, you can cook with, with everything you would do with a Pinot Noir. Like, uh, you know the Eulomerette? You know that? Uh, it's, it's a soft-boiled egg cooked in, in a wine sauce. It's very famous in Burgundy. You can do that with, with, with a Beaujolais. You can do a, um, a big bourguignon with Beaujolais. Maybe you call it a, a big Beaujolais. Or you can also do a, a coq au vin with, with Beaujolais. So, and, and something I really like, it's, uh, it's unusual, you can do a sorbet with Beaujolais. So when you finish your dessert, you have a little sorbet of Beaujolais. It's delicious. I'm going to have to try that one. With the Nouveau Beaujolais, are you supposed to drink it now? Like, can you keep it? Is it a wine that you sell up? It's not, it's not intended to be cellar. It's, it's meant, it's a season, seasonal wine. Doesn't mean that it's going to, to turn bad after a few months. It will certainly be very good after a few months, maybe a year. You know, sometimes you can have all the Beaujolais Nouveau. It's, it's really good. But it's it's not it's not meant for it. It's meant to be enjoyed young, and during the season. It's like it's, I don't know if you if you're if you have any specialty, for example, um, like a special Christmas cake you would do in Australia. 
nothing prevents you from from having it uh, in in the middle of August, but it's just not meant to be at the time. What's the name of the winery that you work with now? So I'm very fortunate to work for George Dubuff Winery. We are a, a family-owned and operated winery based in Beaujolais, France. So obviously they do Beaujolais wines. Uh, what other wines do you do? So we do mostly mostly Beaujolais. Uh, that's because that's where we are. Uh, so we have we work the twelve appellations of Beaujolais, Beaujolais, Beaujolais Village, and the ten crews of Beaujolais. So that's already a lot of wines. And within each appellation, we represent many small uh, small wineries, small domains and estates, and represent them in France all, all over the world. Beyond Beaujolais, we are also famous for our Maconnet wines. And Maconnet is where the family, the Dubuff family comes from. And Maconnet is, is a white wine producing region where we produce mostly sh- Chardonnay. And what makes the wines from Georges de Boeuf better than other wines in the area? I don't think it's better than, than others. It's just, uh, it's just different because we have so many great winemakers in Beaujolais. Uh, it would be uh, pretentious to, to say we're better than, than them. But um, let's say it's, 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 it's different. We have our style of wine. We like wine that are approachable that are uh, a good sense of fruit, but also a sense of place. So we like something that's easy drinking and makes you want to have another glass. But at the same time, we like to showcase the specificity of each appellation and each terroir. So we don't want all the wines to taste the same. We want them to reflect the place they are coming from and the style of the work of the winemaker. How long have they been making wine? So, so George Duboeuf, founded the company in 1964. He passed away at the beginning of 2020. He was a fantastic, fantastic gentleman, a great, a great human being beyond being a, a very famous, a very successful businessman. He was uh, such a humble and, and, and great human being. Uh, I've been very fortunate to, to work with him very closely, but um, we, um, yeah, we've been making wine since the, I, I guess as long as you can find the debuff on the, the face of the earth, he will, he, he, he was probably ma- already making wine because they've been in the region for over 400 years. What's the town that you're in there, um, uh, where the George debuff wines are? So we're in romanes torrens It's a, it's a fairly small town, but it, it's, it's the town where there is one of the most famous vineyards in Beaujolais called Moulin Avant. Where you find this Cru Beaujolais, I was talking, uh, telling you about this more uh, world-class wine of Beaujolais. So Beaujolais, something you, to to understand is that it can go from very simple, simple, unpretentious, festive wine like Beaujolais Nouveau to very sophisticated and really world-class wine like Moulin Avant. That's where our town is in Romanes Torin. And if you come to visit us, I hope you will. You will see we have a wonderful wine museum called Le Hameau du Vin, where you can learn about the history of winemaking in Beaujolais and Maconnet. And it's, it's very fun. You can spend the whole day and, and learn a lot about uh, the region and winemaking. It's, it's worth the trip.
Apart from wine, what else is there in that area, in that town and, and uh, region for people to check out? We are very focused on wine in Beaujolais, but there are so many things to, to, to see. The landscapes are amazing in Beaujolais. A lot of people that have, have welcomed to Beaujolais told me how, how surprised they were about how beautiful it is. It's, it, some, some people say it's the French Tuscany because it's, it's small rolling hills with small medieval villages on top of the hills surrounded by, by, by vineyards. It's, it's really gorgeous. So the architecture, the history, the, the landscapes are worth the trip. Even if you don't drink, don't drink wine, you'd be delighted to, to visit Beaujolais. Do you export a lot of wine around the world? We do, yeah, we do as much as we uh, as we can. Uh, we export to many countries, including uh, the US, the Canada, the UK, all parts of Europe, and uh, and Japan. Not in Japan. Japan. What's this? A huge interest in French wine, Japan. I think they they love Beaujolais Nouveau. They. Do. And I, I can imagine why, you know, it, it really goes well with the cuisine and the sophistication of their cuisine. Um, so it's, it's, a very, it's a love story between Japan and, and Beaujolais. Yeah, well, I have a, a love affair with Japan. If I was married to France, Japan would be my mistress. <laughs> For sure. Uh, I love that. Um, but yes, actually, I can think of in relation to Japanese food and how you described how Beaujolais goes with food and, and is an easy, uh, a very uh, good wine to drink, um, especially for the table. And I can imagine that it would go with Japanese food quite well. Can we actually visit the winery? And if so, what can we do there? So you, you definitely come visit us at George Dubuff. So we are... Uh, as I say, we have this this um, this wine museum, but it's more than that. It's, it's almost a, a theme theme park. It's a, it's for the whole family because we figured when you come and and some of you may not drink or uh, maybe you come with um, with kids, so we want everybody to the whole family to have a good time. So you you have the wine museum. You have also a beautiful garden. Um, garden and, and lots of things to do you can actually visit inside a winery so that's a fun part of Dubuff is you, you would you let's say you come in September when we are making wine you have access to the winery so you can see the winemaker working you can see how it works uh, and and you can really understand how wine is made so we we believe that uh, we should be open to the world and we we really like to welcome people and and show them how we how we do things in Beaujolais and welcome them. You know, a lot of wine places in the world, you go there and you have to pay for a fee before you can taste anything or taste wine. Or sometimes you may be, uh, can I say, um, maybe a little bit shy or it, it may be uh, intimidating. Now that's the word I'm looking for. You, it may be intimidating sometimes to to enter a winery. In Beaujolais, and not only Dubuff, every Beaujolais winemaker I know are very simple, humble, and welcoming people. They open their door. You can go there, have fun, talk to the winemaker, taste their wine, and really have an experience where 
unlike any other or not not like other parts of, of France where it's very expensive wine and, and, and people are more aristocratic than anything. Uh, here in Beaujolais, it's very humble, simple people. You, you just go there and, and make friends with the, the winemakers. The last question I ask everybody is, what is the most fabulous thing for you about France? Oh, that's a good question. Not easy to, what's the most fabulous thing? Uh, I, I have to say um, the people, the people in France. Yes, no, but the people in France, the people in France, maybe you get the wrong impression with the grumpy waiter, uh, waiter at, at the Parisian bistro. But people in France are, are a bit tough first. First, you know, we complain all the time. Uh, we are a bit grumpy. But once you get to know people, they are the nicest. They are super nice and and interesting. And also, you know, um, when you make a friend in France, it's for life. So that's something I like about France. It's not superficial. I agree with that. Roman, thank you for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. You have absolutely uh, taught us a lot about Beaujolais and Beaujolais wines. And uh, I think uh, everybody will come and visit now when they've been listening. It'll put it on their to-do list for the next time they come to France. And uh, hopefully we can go to Georges de Boeuf and have uh, um, something uh, spicy and chilly with our wine when we come. <laughs> we'll try. Uh, and maybe I try to – I let you uh, drive the, the train. Let me drive the train. Okay, well, I'll bring something chilly. Try and find a West Indies dish that I can make, and I'll bring that when I come. Although I think it's a four-hour drive from here. It might not travel well but we'll see. Roman, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Andrew. I can't wait to pop open a bottle of Beaujolais now after speaking to Roman. Except, well, I'm not drinking during the odd months of the year anymore. Why did I decide to do that? Oh, well, I'll just have to wait till December. You can find out more about Roman and George de Boeuf Wines via the link in the show notes for this episode. Don't forget, if you like this episode, then please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the podcast around with your friends and family. I love to be shared around. Well, the podcast does, that is. If you are planning a trip to France in the not-too-distant future, then why not let me help you make it even more fabulous by booking in a one-hour Zoom call with me. That's right, with me, in person, for an hour. We will discuss where to go, accommodations, transport, how to get around, places to eat, things to eat at, and so much more. Maybe we won't be able to fit in an hour. Oh, well, you're only paying for an hour, so if it goes over, that's on my time. You can do that via the link in the show notes for this episode or by checking out my website, andrewpriorfabulously.com. In 2022, hopefully you'll be able to come and join me in person for some fabulous cooking experiences. So stay tuned for more information on that soon. I'm Andrew Pryor and my motto in life is whatever you do, do it fabulously. So why not join me here every week on Fabulously Delicious, the podcast. Abiento and bon app. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, book nerds. nerds. 
two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to be read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!